Hey, hey, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host today. If you didn't already know what we're covering today, I mean, you could read the title of the episode, but if that was no indication, we're going to be covering a little movie from 1995 today called Party Girl with our queen, Miss Parker Posey. But, you know, this movie is something where it is kind of primed to be this like cult classic, if you will. And I've wanted to do it on the show for a while and, you know, ever since I started. And so I, I needed to find a good guest though. I was like, I need to find a good guest. And I would have loved to have found somebody who like is a librarian or like has that kind of a thing. But you know what? I'll take a super gag fan as well. And that's exactly what I have for you today for this episode to help me talk about this movie and to just bring general good vibes. But my guest today is what I like to call like a pop culture enthusiast, a purveyor of different filming locations all over the country, um, because he's been to a bunch of places that are filming locations for different movies, and also just general gay dude on the internet. It's fun. Uh, he also uh, helps moderate some of the uh, celebrity panels at uh, the New Jersey Horror Convention, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But please welcome to my show today bobby master bobby how are you doing today i'm good thank you for having me i'm very flattered to be here of course of course yeah the way i got to know who you were um and we were definitely talking and chit-chatting a little bit before bobby literally said he was a grandma when it comes to technology i kind of get that like i sort of i completely i empathize because i'm like wait what huh besides that though so i became familiar with you because i I think I saw you like on like Darren Stein's like Instagram every so often, or like I remember like seeing like comments you might have made or something like that. But I think I actually became familiar with, you know, just being on YouTube and looking at, I don't know why, but like Fandom Spotlight is a YouTube channel that is around that has all different sorts of convention. Uh, panels on and sometimes you just want to hear what like some celebrities were doing in like their career or like a movie or whatever the hell and new jersey horror con which is where you work every so often when they're around you help moderate some of those panels and i remember seeing i think it was the heather Matarazzo one or some one you did and i was like who's this little gay who's that i kind of I wonder what he's doing. I wonder who he is, you know, because if anything, if people don't already know what you look like from your Instagram or like anything like that, but you know, it's hard to, to hide the, the gayness of course, which I appreciate. I just was like, Oh wait, like who's this little boy right here? I, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like that vibe. Like, you know, and I think also the way you did your panels, you know, from what I at least saw of it was captured. I do like the kind of free flowing conversation and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't feel too um it doesn't feel too gussied up or like too like, you know, stiff or whatever. I think it's just a nice conversation to have. Uh which really at the end of the day, I think anybody who goes to a convention and goes to those panels wants. Um they don't want it to feel too stuffy or too like whatever. But but that's how I became familiar with you. And then we just started becoming Instagram friends. And then I was like, hey, little little gay boy, come on my show. All right. What do, what do you want to cover? And then, um, you know, then, you know, knowing that we would do Party Girl, I was just like, oh, yeah. But that's how I became familiar with you, though. But what I would like to know a little bit about you, Bobby, though, because this is the first time we're talking over like Zoom or whatever. One, I would like to know from you, though, what is it about this movie, Party Girl in particular, 
what is it about this when was the first time you like saw this movie kind of what's your history with it and like you know i kind of want to hear about that and then of course like i brought you on because i feel like you like this movie enough where you want to talk about it but uh, i would just love to hear your history about it and you know why does it mean something to you where you'd want to come on and talk about it well thank you for finding me all over the internet first of all yeah um uh me and darren are friends i interviewed him for my show coming up and uh then we hung out a few we hung out when i was out in la um and yes i did interview heather moderato and uh did felissa rose as well uh jimmy duvall and thank you i appreciate you um saying that it was like so free free flowing i that's what i wanted that's what i attempt in all my interviews i don't i try not to ask like the basic questions that like everybody's like already asked a hundred times to where you can google any interview and hear that specific answer i try to like dig up like different things different kind of questions and stuff so thank you i appreciate that but i've actually been like trying to like, rattle my brain like since you asked me to come on figuring out like when this movie entered my life because i really can't pinpoint it it's one of those movies that like it's it's been a part of my life i just remember it being there the whole time basically like i've been a big fan of parker posey for my whole life she's like a goddess indie queen like i bow to her like she i can't like even say like she plays crazy so well in like all of her like all of her endeavors i could just sit here and talk about how amazing she is the whole time but i first saw her in josie and the pussycats when i was 10 years old and like that was like i was like hook line and sinker with her ever since then i guess sometime after the year 2001 which is when Josie and the pussycats came out so sometime after that is when i was just like i feel like it was like on television like on like showtime or something and i was just like oh it's her i need to see this and it's been like maybe 20 plus years since i've seen the film for the first time but it really never gets old it like holds up so well um i never get tired of it like it i always notice something different when i when i watch it again like you see movies like that i mean you see movies in general that you watch like a hundred times and like you just keep noticing new things about it like every single time which is something i love about this movie i guess yeah no that's totally fair and i think it's fair to say that like you know hey i don't remember when it came into my life specifically because yeah that kind of is like what these like cult films do where they just kind of seep into your brain in a weird way and that's what's kind of fun about them honestly they leave an impression uh yeah i mean for uh like you were saying with parker posey i mean i bow to her as well i i think she just has such a interesting style to her acting and just the choices she makes i think are really really great uh, personally, I became familiar with her when I was a teenager when I saw the movie Days to Confused for the first time because I was like, oh, it's this movie because my sister went through a whole like teen movie phase where she was like obsessed with the 80s movies and all as a lot of people did anyway but you know where they're selling it at hot topic and shit like that you know with like um the different 80s teen movies and all but uh i watched days confused for the first time and i think i also watched fast times as judgment high as well but um seeing parker posey in that i was like oh who who's this who's this girl i i don't know who that is but like i didn't know who she is and then just seeing her kind of pop up in different things and just kind of seeing different stuff that she's done i um 
you know, I knew she was in Josie and the Pussycats. So that was something I actually, within the last few years, recently watched for the first time. But then even finding like Clock Watchers, which I think is very underseen and underrated with her, and even some of her like Hal Hartley stuff, I want to get into a little bit to, to kind of uh, watch those a little bit because, you know, not that that's his muse or anything, but like, She's definitely a player in some of his movies as well. Yeah, I I could definitely agree with that. But my history, especially with Party Girl, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't always in my life or anything, but I became familiar with it because I was like, oh, it's this like movie and I became familiar with it being a gay film a little bit um, because it has queer people in it hear people in and all that stuff so i was like all right cool i guess but i didn't know what the exact plot of it was i was just like so parker posey is a party girl i guess <laughs> like whatever but but yeah when i actually first watched it and i was like oh okay what, what is this but i think as time has gone on i feel like i think i just like this movie more and more because i think it just has it's trying to say quite a bit and i think it does land pretty much for the most part uh, with what it's trying to say. And I also just think like it captures such a certain time in people's lives when they're in their mid twenties and they don't know what the fuck to do with their lives and you know, all that. So I think this kind of captures that perfectly. And, and yeah, I just, and it has a lot to do with Parker Posey literally knocking it out of park in a role that was really, uh, you know, the first lead role she ever had, really, I, I would credit. So, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my history as well. Um, do you have anything to add before we start to move on to, you know, kind of digging into some production stuff and all that kind of thing? Uh, Jess and I also loved her in uh, Dazed and Confused. She was so good in that. Like the, the one-liners that she had where she was like, what are you looking at? Wipe that face off your head, bitch. Oh my god, it's so good. Like so that's, uh, that's her first movie. Like she made such a like everybody in that cast, honestly. It was it's it was so cool to see them all as like babies, basically, all of them just starting out. And then to see like the snowballage of like how big a lot of them became. And yes, uh best in show, goddamn, like she is just absolutely hilarious in that movie as well. I guess uh I guess that's all before we dive into the history that is this yes. cult classic <laughs> absolutely yeah that's all about what my show is really as we normally do on the show we're going to dive into a little bit about the you know production history of the movie a little bit about the cast and the crew and stuff like that and you know we'll just have kind of a general conversation about the movie talk about the plot talk about the characters things like that but uh without further ado we're going to get into that so this movie in particular party girl this was released uh, at sundance in january of 19 so next year it'll be celebrating its 30 year anniversary so hopefully hopefully there'll be think pieces other people doing podcasts on it who knows we'll see then made its release i guess not that it wasn't released but it actually came out june 9th of 1995 in the u.s um this movie also has and we won't talk too much about it i don't think because i don't think it's much to say it is the first movie to ever be streamed on the internet but again this is also 1995 internet so it's like how much could you have streamed it but uh it does have that fun little distinction uh we are looking at a runtime of 94 minutes and uh this is distributed by first look pictures as well 
and it was made for an estimated $150,000. Um, so this is very low, low budge. For the weekend ranking gross, so the opening weekend, it was at number 16 with $57,237 when it was released. And it's probably limited release. Um, overall, it made about $472,370. So needless to say, I mean, in terms of, you know, the low budget filmmaking, I mean, it made more than it costs to you know make really which is good didn't go international or anything i don't know how it would have really gone international really but um but yeah so you know a nice little indie venture which i then think kind of gave parker posey something to be like oh she has these indie hits if you will because you know I don't, I'm sure she was in a studio production at some point, but like she was always kind of known as the indie darling, if you will, as a lot of actors kind of can be like when they're first starting out. But anyway, so then we have, let's see, 81% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics out of about 37 reviews, and then 75% um, audience score from about 5,000 reviews, um, and then a three and a half uh, out of five on Letterboxd the voice of the people so that's what we're talking in terms of just like metrics in general um but then we'll talk a little bit about our cast and our crew um so the crew this is the feature directorial debut of uh daisy von schirlermeyer um so she is uh, a woman filmmaker so of course it's nice to see female directors and female writers and stuff she actually uh went and she was the director of Madeline, the live action adaptation of the uh, books, The Buffalo Girl in Paris? I love that movie. I really? When I saw that movie in theaters when I was eight years old, I was obsessed with Madeline. And I learned that today looking up the history of, of her uh, director, of her directorials. Um, yeah. And I was, I was flabbergasted because I was like, what a, what a difference. What a difference. Yes. I love Were you that. into the Madeline books? Yes, I still have them. Um, I love that. The Little House in Paris that was covered in volumes, but we can talk about that in another episode. We'll talk about that another time, because listen, Madeline can maybe go on my show too, because why not? Yo, seriously. And then she also has done a lot of TV as well. So um, hasn't done a ton of films, I don't think, but um, she's directed episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with Rachel Bloom, Fear the Walking Dead, um, Yellow Jackets, which I know she's done that because I've watched that show, and and also Mad Men and Shameless. So that's a lot of her TV um, directing efforts, if you will. Uh, then the story, my writing is so small on this thing. But so she wrote the story with also Henry uh, Berkmeyer and Sheila Gaffney. So the other two um, writers of this are really only known for this movie. So really, it was just like a tri-joint effort, if you will, um, for all these people. The composer of this movie is Anton Senko. And then the music supervisor is Bill Coleman. Um, so Anton Senko, he uh, actually composed Ouija. Uh, uh, the movie from uh, Mike Flanagan or somewhere in there from Blumhouse or whatever. You'll hear about this. Uh, you've probably heard the episode already, but uh, Nurse 3D as well, which is a crazy Paz de la Huerta, like erotic thriller movie. Fantastic. I did an episode earlier this month on it, but he also did the music for that. Uh, and then Single All the Way, the really bad Michael Yuri Netflix movie that's about gays at Christmas with Jennifer Coolidge and Kathy and Jimmy and all them. Um, so yeah, he also did the music for that. 
something tells me something i sniff out that he might also be a homosexual but cannot confirm or deny that i didn't research it so you can come into the com- into the comments and confirm or deny but i think you're right yeah i think so too i mean literally how could you compose single all the way and not be a mo honestly uh anyway but then michael slovis is our cinematographer he actually uh so he did this movie but he also did two decoms he did halloween town so he is the guy who shot halloween town and he's also the guy who did the 13th year as well which also if i'm not mistaken uh, i almost called you travis but uh bobby i think you told me that chez starbuck you got me on his uh instagram and listen i'm not mad oh, at it my god i would let him do whatever he wanted chez if you're listening right now like he already knows he already knows like i've made it very clear uh <laughs> you're gonna get what you want listen and i appreciate the gumption i have nothing to hide so i just be sliding into these people's dms like whatever like That's we live fine. in that era where it's our where i can do this so like why not one they're gonna say yes one one way or one of these days somebody's gonna say yeah <laughs> i mean i'm just saying listen um <laughs> and then also we have kara silverman who edited this movie she also edited uh, a cinderella story with uh queen hillary duff also um he's just not that into you as well based off of the book um and also did malibu's most wanted um edited that and also edited the cute little movie called jeffrey from 1995 it's a little gay movie um it's on peacock i actually watched it early, early like middle of last year and it was super fun but anyway so yeah but that's a little bit about our like uh, our crew of the film there isn't anybody else i could really think of in terms of like other crew members of course obviously a movie takes more than just those jobs but i definitely think like um those are some some fun ones uh with our cast though we have um i mean me and bobby already talked about how lovely parker posey is like come on now i really do think like this is like her first lead role ever and she's amazing in it but she's also bit i literally just have ellipses in my notes because if i have to explain to you who parker posey is like you don't don't listen to this episode then like come on now like maybe learn about who parker posey is then i don't want to like further this conversation any further you know what i mean like if you don't know who she is how do you not like how do you if you haven't seen her in something something exactly no seriously i mean listen Maybe we're teaching you something if you've come across this episode and you've ne- you never heard of this woman, but I'm just saying, like, uh, do better, okay? <laughs> but then you also have, like, Guillermo Diaz, um, who you've actually, um, you were just, are you in New York right now or are you back home? No, I'm back in Philly, but I might be back in New York on Saturday. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, was at, I was at the screening of his new film, You Can't Stay Here, two weeks ago. I think he invited me, which was really surprising and awesome. I was very, very flattered to be put on that guest list. That was very sweet of him to do. Um, it was a really good movie. Uh, definitely check it out. It's like screen, like they're screening it like in random, like right now, I think they're doing, uh, New Orleans. I think it's screening right now. Um, next month, February, when this was coming out, I think it's going to be in LA. So if you're in LA, like look for that. It's a really good, like, it's very like gay friendly. Uh, like it gives cruising vibes, you know, the movie Mm. cruising. I won't give too much away, but yeah, he's a great guy. Shout out to Guillermo Diaz. I think this was his first movie. Also, I think this is like his first starring role in a movie. 
I think so. I think it was like his second credit from what I saw on Wikipedia. So I'm like, shit, like he literally has, and he's gone on to do a lot of great work. You and me are also both Greg Rocky fans. And of course I know him from nowhere, obviously. And um, just like other random shit too. Like he's popped up in. He's in 200 cigarettes as well. Mm -hmm. And like nowhere, I always forget like, because there's just so many people in that that I have to remember like the right. like the whole roster of like that's like this long of like so many big stars who just even have one line. You got Mrs. Garrett from the Facts of Life. You have um uh, Eve Plum and Christopher Knight are in that movie. Both speaking Icelandic. They learned Icelandic for this film. They I learned how to speak Icelandic and for that for that particular part of the movie anyway. But yeah oh my he God. Great. I went to the filming location from nowhere where they were up on the roof of the Rosalind Hotel mm-hmm. when uh, Guillermo's character is like confronting his boyfriend about how if he's inclined yes. to act to break up. Uh, my friends and I snuck up on that roof. The the door was open. So listen, you didn't sneak. Listen, if it was open, shit, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Fuck the police know. anyway. <laughs> As we're taking the pictures, like the security comes up and they're like, you got to leave. And we're like, but we, but it's important. Do you know what happened up on this room? Oh they, they let us finish what we were doing, but we had to leave after. But that yeah. little fun tip about that. Mm. I love that. That's so cute. And then also he's in my lovely, uh, wonderful freeway, 1986. He plays Alana wow. Ubach's boyfriend. I love that. Yes, um, he is. Amazing. Uh, we love you, Gamro. I really hope that that little movie you went and saw. Um, I really hope it like, if anything, if it isn't streaming somewhere, I hope you can like get a fun little digital download or something so you can just like watch it, give them some money, watch it, see if you like it, you know, kind of a thing. It'd be cute. I'd like that. I'm sure it'll be up on something eventually because like they're still in the like movie theater. Uh, yeah things and what have you. Like, they told me that they just uh, like the cast and the crew. They were all there. Um, the director, they were telling me that um, they were just in Berlin uh, mm. screening it. Right. Cute. I love that. And, yeah. So hopefully it'll go up somewhere where you can like rent it or whatever. Cause I love seeing, I love seeing gays do, do good. I love the, my, my mom or my sister was watching scandal at some point or somebody was watching scandal and uh, they were like, Oh yeah. Like there's this guy on there. Da, 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 and that's Guillermo Diaz on that show. And so then I looked him up. I think that's how I became familiar with him, honestly. And then I was like, Oh wait, no, he's homosexual. He's gay. Oh my God. This is great. Like, you know, he should see that as much and it's nice to have people out there and all of that so i love that he's one of the first like actors that like i saw like being openly gay like when i was younger before it was like the thing to do uh but like he was one of the first and like he was in i think he was in that movie stonewall too oh that really horrible one from the guy who did independence day didn't see i don't i don't remember but it might have been another stonewall who knows? I'm not um, sure. I could be. I could be lying right now. And <laughs> but you, yeah, continue. Uh, continue with our cast me- uh, members. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So Liam Shriver's in this movie. He is mostly known for being uh, in Scream One, Two, and Three, uh, where he does not share a scene with Parker Posey because he, uh, spoiler, dies in the beginning of three. But uh, he's in this movie, you know, it's cute. He plays Nigel. He Nigel's an asshole. We hate him. You know, he's British. Okay, whatever. And his brother, Pablo Schreiber, I believe, is on Orange is the New Black. He plays one of the little prison guards on there. So that was like super fun. Did you not know that? Which one? 
Um, didn't he play porn stash or something? The guy who like in the first few because they have the same last name. That, that, I guess that makes sense. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, that guy. Well, then the, the director of this film also directed an episode of Orange is the New Black, so maybe they were in an episode together. Maybe That's she's. True. I love seeing stuff like that. I love. Yeah. You also uh, have the first line of this movie was Lady Bunny. Uh, Mickey, look I for it. I can't go make my stage entrance with one earring on. Oh. You sound just like her. That was that was scary. <laughs> it's so good. Like, oh my, it's so funny. It's a little baby boy in a noose. But yeah, it's... she was the first line. That was she was the opening. She was the opening of this movie, and like this was her first movie as well. Mm-hmm. I've read. Film as well, a lot of firsts for a lot of people, and for yeah. this to be first, I think that's something to be proud of. I think so too. I think, and we'll talk a little bit about it as well. But like, yeah, this is just such a good little thing for people in their, uh, you know, beginning stages. You know, um, Sasha Van, um, I don't know how to say your last name. I'm so stupid. Uh, Sasha Van uh, Sh- Schuller, I believe. Good old Judy uh, in this movie. That is the mother of Miss Daisy, the director. Didn't have a huge career or anything in terms of being an actress. Mostly she's well known for being in Network, which is from the 70s, 80s. I think it's the late 70s movie. Um, And then she's mostly, I think, known for this. She was mostly a theater actress for the most part. Um, She was popular in the theater world. She did have some like TV and movie credits, like few and far between, but I think she was mostly known like throughout her like career, like the like sixties and seventies, like in like the theater world and stuff, which is still something yeah. to be very proud of. But this was her last film. This was the last movie that she did. Yeah, before she passed away, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, she's so good in this. Like I yeah, I really I like Judy. Um she's, you know, just trying to look out for her goddaughter, but Doing it in, you know, a way that she knows, the only way she knows how, I feel like. But And then Donna Mitchell, good old Donna Mitchell, uh, plays Renee in the movie. She is a model-turned-actress. Um, for those who don't know, she's actually in the beginning party scene of The Exorcist, where Linda Blair pees on the floor. Um, she's one of Chris oh, Neal's yeah. friends. I believe so. I think she is. Like, she's one of those. Um, and she's also in Wet Hot American Summer. I don't know where she is in there but the internet told me that so i'll believe it is there anybody else in terms of cast or anything that you wanted to like shout out or talk about or anything uh not to my knowledge no i could do a quick search to see if i have any like fun tidbits on anybody who was in it but i think you covered like the majority i think a lot of other people in the movie had like bit parts and stuff and you know like it was kind of like a small like cast when it comes to like main characters Whoa, I agree. Oh, 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 random. The guy that gets in a fight with Guillermo Diaz in the beginning of the movie outside of Renee's club, he was the guy who was jerking off to Martha Plimpton and Lily Taylor humping in the beginning of I Shot Andy Warhol. Oh, fun. Love that. Random tidbit. Yeah, I, I remembered that because I did want to say that. I was like, oh, because I was watching that yesterday and I was just like, that's the same guy. Okay. 
right i love that oh and also so because there was a uh influence from just the club scene in general you have some like kind of club like celebs in here so natasha twist who i think was kind of in the ballroom voguing scene i believe trans woman uh of color really cool uh she is natasha where you know you have that whole scene uh and also the it twins um who are uh the <laughs> they're the twins who want turkish beer and like they have like the um pigtails and stuff they were actually from the club kids scene which is so interesting because this movie is right before the club kids like you know <laughs> devolved into nothing um, um, that, that era came to a screeching halt yes yes um uh, but it's this is right before that so yeah having like the it twins in here where it'd be like having james st james just like show up do you know what i mean or having someone like lady bunny obviously like you know it's in there so yeah well, something i really love about this movie is like it, it's really like authentic in that sense like they're they're filming in like new like pre-gentrification new york like they're filming in like actual like rundown buildings and like you know they're filming around like the lower east side um they're not like in in like times square like filming like on green screens and stuff making you believe you're in new york they're like on the actual streets and i love movies like that where like they it's kind of like guerrilla filmmaking in a sense even though they i'm sure they have permits for it all but it's still like it's like the real it's like it's like oh let's film in this random building type of thing you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. I I uh, think that would be one thing. So yeah, that's a little bit of our cast and crew and shit like that. Yeah, I think with this movie, uh, to your point, Bobby, I really do think like uh, that's one of the things I really like about this film is that it's absolutely that it feels authentic. It doesn't feel like these people are really trying or anything like that in terms of like trying to be something or trying to do any of this. It, it just feels like these are people who are a part of this community, who are part of the scene um, and all that stuff. And you're able to kind of to get that, which I thought was really cool. And yeah, I mean, I that's what I think is a big staying power of this movie is the fact that it has that authenticity where you feel like oh these feel like real people these feel like you know people who'd be in the club scenes and all that kind of stuff but yeah so wanted to mention that a little bit it's kind of like a day in the life type of thing i like that about like indie coming of age movies where like the plot is kind of just like a few days or weeks in this like in these characters lives where it's not like the plot isn't like, oh, they need to save the day, like, oh, stuff like that. Like Clock Watchers, it's basically just like these people's lives, and like this is like a little chunk of it, what you're seeing. And that is what like I see about this movie, is yeah. like you're seeing like Mary's turnaround in her life, and mm -hmm. um, you're, you're watching her like try to better herself. I agree. Yeah. So on the, on the tail of that, um, so Bobby, I have a, I have a bit of a challenge for you. So if you were to have, if you were having to explain to somebody what party girl is about, they've never seen it before, or they're like, Oh, I don't know what that is. What, what's it about? Um, how would you describe this movie to somebody who maybe has never seen it before? Well, I would tell them that they need to go home and watch it right away. And it's streaming for free on like 19 different platforms. So you have have your pick of the litter to watch it on but i guess i would just tell them like <laughs> i guess i would just tell them it's what it's about you know it's like 
about this fab like this she is fabulous but she is a mess at the same time but i love i'm a fabulous mess as well so we love a fabulous train wreck this like new this girl in new york like she's like partying her ass off and she's trying to like clean up her act and stuff and like you like go through all of the like whirlwinds of the things that happen and like the downfall and like her eventual like triumph <laughs> yeah no absolutely no i think that's absolutely without giving anything away or whatever i mean obviously we're going to spoil this movie because this is a movie podcast duh but i think if you were to explain that like listen parker posey she is a party girl as the title would suggest and gets herself into some trouble she ends up getting a job at a uh, library and she's trying to become a better person and that's really it that's all it's about really um i brought this to you yesterday we were we were talking a little bit on um instagram but this movie to me because i love i love tony collette of course but i love muriel's wedding i love that movie so much just the australian humor of it all i think just everything about it i really i really fucks with it and in a weird way this movie party girl and muriel's wedding i feel like just are these kindred spirits in a way like because they're both about these imperfect women they're about these kind of yeah like they're these women who are not perfect they're not uh they're kind of unlikable honestly but the whole arc of the movie is that they're trying to become better. They're trying to better themselves. Um, and I'm a sucker for those kinds of movies personally. Uh, so, you know, I, I just, I definitely, there's a recent thought I had of just like, yeah, no, like I would definitely in a weird way, I would double feature them. I'd be like, yeah, no, if you like Miro's wedding, check out party girl. If you haven't, because I see the vision, if anything, I mean, I don't, I, <laughs> I was telling you, like, I love Muriel's wedding, but I would use the term comedy very loosely. Cause I said, like, when I first watched that, like after seeing like the little clips of her, like you can shove that drink up your ass, Christy, like, um, but like in the very beginning, there are some very funny parts. And then when they're like singing Waterloo, but after that, like, it just is like a downfall of sadness and depression. And I went into that thinking I was going to be laughing a lot. And I, it was definitely a mood shift. And oh, like, yeah. The second time I watched it, I knew what I was expecting. So I liked it a lot more the second time I watched it because I went into it in that mindset. Whereas yeah. before I would just, I'm gonna laugh my ass off and I'm just like, oh my God, she kills herself. What? Oh my God. It is a no, and, and that's a fair thing to say because like, yeah, no, Tony Clutt's amazing and Richard Griffiths is amazing and like everyone in the cast is amazing, but it is the funniest drama you will ever watch because there are some really funny parts in it. There are some good things. I'm not dead yet, Cheryl, you know, or whatever, but like, it's these things of like, yeah, no, it's fucking sad, dude. Be Again, I think with something like Party Girl, you know, the thing about Muriel's Wedding is that Muriel is unlikable because I, she just is because of the kind of way she's been raised and she's had to kind of take this extreme measure to gain independence. And then she learns how to be better and whatever. And with party girl, it doesn't happen. I think this is a little bit more funny than Muriel's wedding, obviously, but you know, yeah, Mary is just kind of selfish. She is kind of a little self-centered and she just is a party girl. She's kind of, she's 24. She's young. You, you know what I mean? Like she, she, 
is kind of out for herself as a lot of people are but i think she does the whole arc of her trying to be a better trying to find a lover trying to find purpose in her life i think that's just the big crux of this movie and that's what you end up getting in the end too which is cool but but yeah anything to kind of add on to that before we move into anything else i mean isn't that what we're all trying to do is just like find our way like there's no there's no guidebook on how to live a life you know what i mean like everybody finds solace in something different this movie is definitely much more lighthearted than muriel's wedding like if Mm -hmm. i like i can watch this and laugh even though there are some like sad parts but i could still watch it and laugh and like i relate to if i were to pick like muriel or mary i would relate a lot more to mary based on like i'm selfish and like i put myself first but like she lost her family she doesn't have a family Mm -hmm. i i lost my mother as well so like i have myself you know i she has herself to rely on so she's doing what she has to do to like get herself by she's putting herself first I totally get that. No, totally. And that's fair to say. And I I do appreciate that insight on that just because like, it it just kind of shows like, yes, this is what Mary does, but she's also trying to, after she realizes like she wants to do something better with her life than just be a party girl, you know, and all that. And yeah. And I, I think that's, what's really cool about these kinds of movies is that, yeah, you know, uh, we get to see men do whatever they want and we get to see them as leads of movies. And when a woman is a lead of a movie, there's almost this like double standard expectation where she has to be a certain way. She has to be this otherwise da da da. Right. But it's like, no, actually we can have a movie that has an unlikable character, but as long as they're trying to be better, you know, then that's fine. You know, um, I think like this, like Muriel's wedding and then also this, but even something like clueless, like Cher's not unlikable. She's naive and she has to learn how to not be so naive to the rest of the world because she's been brought up in privilege. So it's kind of like, you know, a, a thing where, uh, but any of those kinds of arcs we get to see where it's not just like, you know, this one way of how a woman should be, you know, especially as well, especially since this was written and directed by a woman, you know, you get that different perspective. And I appreciate that as somebody who isn't a woman. I want to see these different perspectives and I don't need a likable protagonist. I don't need a happy ending all the time or any of that kind of stuff. I, I want to see something else, you know, in there. I want to see some risks being taken, you know? So, yeah. yeah and like, it's not like any of them are like unlikable. Like you said, like, they're like none of them are villains either like shares like a popular girl but she's not like a bitch like she's very very nice she's just very naive and sees like the world differently than it really is and like she eventually like she eventually has to swallow that pill at one point and it like works out in her benefit i guess i guess right if falling over with your stepbrother is what you want yeah. i guess but whatever yeah but if your stepbrother was paul rudd listen come on i'm just saying but yeah no i think with this like uh we can talk about a few of the characters of this movie i think we already talked a little bit about mary you kind of already said how you feel about mary would you say so or did you have anything to elaborate on when it comes to her character like what do you think about her i mean i love her fashion sense obviously like like the whoever like picked out the clothes for her to wear like a hundred on that test she is 
fabulous. Um, and I, I, I like her. I get why she, some people might not, but like, she seems like somebody that I could personally hang out with. Yeah. No, totally. I I think there's that. And like I said, I, I think my whole consensus with Mary is that, yes, she starts off one way. Um, as you said, like we find out that her mother died and, you know, she is kind of just, she has her godmother who she kind of has like a, only so much of a relationship with really. Um, but she's just trying to kind of find the semblance of like, yeah, she doesn't have much of like a steady job. And so that's why like, when she's challenged, you know, she's also somebody who doesn't want to back down from a fight or back down from a challenge either. One of my favorite lines in this movie is, you don't think I'm smart enough to work in your fucking library? You know, it's like she wants that challenge. But what's cool is that she there's a little bit of friction with her and Judy at first. But we find that, like, no, actually, when given the opportunity, like, Mary exceeds and does well in her job as a library clerk, you know, and that's great to see. So it's, it's nice to, to see that she starts off one way of being this, like, not, I don't think she's super vapid, but like, she's this certain party girl that we think of, but then, you know, we get to see that, that nice shift where she's just trying to get her shit together. And I think by the end, she does get her shit together. For sure, for sure. You can also like be fabulous and be a librarian at the same time, you know? Absolutely. Like in Matilda, like in Matilda when Raya Perlman says, you chose books, I chose looks. Why can't you pick both? I did. <laughs> exactly, there you go. Oh no, for sure, for sure. But yeah, no. Oh, I was going to mention too, because you said you went to the library at Party Girl of Party Girl uh, in New York. Do you have anything fun to share about your venture going there? Uh, yeah, I do, I guess. it was. It's called the Seaward uh, Public Library and it's on the Lower East Side. And so the inside is not filmed there, just the exterior shots of like Mary showing up to work and then this scene where Mary and Judy are like talking on the bench outside. That's all filmed there. Um, but I went inside and I found a homosexual librarian. I like scoped that one out. I was just like, you, you're going to be able to help me find what I'm looking for. And he, he knew his shit. He really was. I was like, okay, so we didn't, they didn't film it on the inside. Um, the inside of this library, he was like, the windows don't match up in the scenes. Of, and I went back and watched and they don't, yeah, the outside still looks just the same. No graffiti. Unfortunately, there was scaffolding outside, so I didn't get to get as much of the pictures that I wanted. But I, I can always go back. But yeah, it, that was it was cool to see like the the same spot where it was filmed and stuff on the outside. Anyway, um, that's the only location that I could find was the library of all the places that they filmed in here. That was the only one that I could find. Yeah, yeah, because I don't know where they would find. Uh, I think I was messaging about that. I was like, I don't know where you would find Renee's at. Like, I don't know what that would be. You know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of a a thing. And obviously, you can't just find her loft. Like, I don't know where you would find that either. Like, it might not even exist anymore. Uh, but yeah, so that's obviously housing. <laughs> All we know is not even there now. But I'm glad that like the library is still thriving. Uh, I sat in there and charged my phone for 45 minutes after. I finished taking like thousands of pictures of myself from all angles outside of it. I oh, love that. You know, you're, you become learned. I, I appreciate that. It's nice. Right. To like match up with the scene, you know, cause you, you've got to be like, Oh, that is the precise spot that they were standing. Do you know what I mean? Right. Of course. Of course. No, I, I totally get that. But yeah. So I think with anything, um, so we have her, 
I guess, what are your thoughts on Judy? What do you think of her as like a character? I think Judy, she definitely does want what's best for Mary, but um, she does show it in like a tough love way, which like I think is something that she probably needs. She gets very stern with her and like it eventually does like get through her head. Like when she fires her, she's like, okay, like I got to prove to her that I can actually do this. My one thing with judy is she does need a different excuse other than your mother was a woman with no common sense because what does that have to do with mary if you're gonna judge me based off of my family members actions like i was i'm not her you know what i mean so you can't keep blaming me like that's you know, you know what i'm trying to say no absolutely and that is actually something i agree with you on because i'm just like okay so her mother was a woman with no common sense and your father was a man with no conscience and i'm like okay and like what like huh what does that have to do with me working at this library like they're not here like so right right and then also seeing like how she you know is a little bit harder on her um as her goddaughter you know and um i guess maybe also it's a thing of like she even though mary i think exceeds what the library clerk job is you know she's doing really well at it but like judy always has in the back of her mind in a way like oh she's gonna flake one day like she's just gonna like you know and it's like well maybe have a little bit of faith in her judy i don't know like but who knows she did get a call from the pokey uh in the middle of the night so that doesn't exactly (laughs) you know inspire confidence but you know people are people could change obviously i did i did feel bad for judy in the part where she was like asked she was like do you do you want to come out to dinner with us and she was like i like our relationship to be more than work and like mary's kind of like being like standoffish and like trying to like push her away i because it was like you're she's doing you a very big justice here is hiring you off the street you know what i mean like she's she was not qualified in the beginning you know like but she kept like at it and she like was trying to like build more of a relationship with her you don't know what happens after the movie's over but i like to think that like they did go in a direction where like they did have like a like a stronger bond you know i agree i agree i would like that too and i would hope that you know because they get to really show like Mary gets to show like, this is really what I want. I, I do want some direction and purpose in my life because obviously I don't feel like I have that. And so I hope that her and Judy's relationship is better and, and got better as a result. I definitely agree. Do you have any thoughts about, I mean, I love Guillermo Diaz for who he is and all that, but do you have any thoughts about like Leo and his character or anything? Uh, his character. I liked his character. He was, uh, he was, a uh, he was definitely there for comic relief. I feel his character was like a comic relief character. Don't really know what their relationship was where they're just friends, right? Like I always wonder that too, because I have watched this like three times now and I'm like, Okay, so your friends, you live together because he got kicked out and like, you know, he, she's letting him stay with him or with her. Then like you then kiss in the shower? Like, okay, I, what were we doing with that kind of a thing? Is it to show that there is some sort of tension there? Like, because I wasn't completely seeing it throughout the movie, but, you know, but I, I feel like that too. I'm like, I guess they're just friends. Hmm, okay. Yeah. That part like threw me off because like I didn't see their relationship going anywhere. And I liked Parker. I liked Mary and the Bob Ganoush guy. I forgot what his name is. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're um, fine. It's Mustafa. 
<laughs> I liked I liked her, and that's also I mean, like it was the '90s, so like interracial relationships were still like a taboo thing. So I I like to see that. I like yeah. to see that. It's, it's supposed to just be white people, white people. I agreed, agreed. And then you have Guillermo Diaz, who is also Hispanic. So like you know, like a lot of a lot of multicultural uh, roles in this film. I like to see that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's nice to see people who aren't just white in the movie. I love that. It's great. I like how you also call them Baba Ganoush guy because yes, like the big quote of this movie is, can I get a falafel with hot sauce, a side order of Baba Ganoush and a seltzer? I don't know about like, I can get with the falafel. I don't know Baba Ganoush is, but like, I guess I'll try it. Get that seltzer out of my face though. I hate seltzer. <laughs> it's spicy. <laughs> I'm not really big on spicy foods. So it's not for me, but I, I support, I support it. <laughs> yeah, I support it. I mean, I'll try it. Why not? Yeah, hell it's fine. Uh, but yeah. Uh, do you have any particular like thoughts or do you have any particular thoughts or feelings about Mustafa as a character or anything like that? I'm glad that they end up together and I'm glad that she can help him like better himself as well, because like I've seen lots of not only like movies, but like real life situations where like people come to America from like their native countries where they are scholars and then they end up like serving food, not saying that's a bad thing, but like, you know, like they can't get a job because like they are like their license or whatever isn't good in like this in the, in the country that they're in now. But she not only bangs him in the library, but also helps him find the information he needs to like get his teaching license valid in the state of New York City. I was gonna say New York City is a town, it's not a state, but I get what you're saying though. <laughs> I sound so uneducated and I'm trying not it's fine, no worries. No, the state of New York City. Let's keep it. <laughs> I do like a uh I, I like Mustafa. I think he's attractive. I, I enjoy him. And I do love him and Mary. I think like in a way that they are um it is nice to see this like white chick and like this middle eastern guy kind of having a little bit of a love connection it is gross that you know just the way that she kind of treats him like at the party where he's like the falafel stand person or whatever that's weirdly cultural appropriate uh, appropriation shit it's kind of weird and just kind of the way she treats him a little bit you know it's just like mm, okay that was that was a long call for a girl you know, I know you're going through some things, but like, it's not a joke to him. You know what I mean? From what it seems, but, and then also you can tie it back to the whole story of Sisyphus, which I've never heard of that before this movie. So I was like, Oh, look at me getting educated while watching this movie, but you can definitely tie it back to his character as well, um, where it does feel like that for him. And I think a lot of, I can't speak for somebody who is an immigrant, but like, I'm sure it feels like that when you even hell just move to a new town. Like you're just like, can I catch a fucking break? You know, or like, how do I, how do I even navigate this? If I'm going to move to a different state or something like, and how do I get my footing? If you will, I think that's something that a lot of people can kind of um, relate with and, and all that. So, yeah. I mean, I got to give anybody who does that like props. Cause like I, I don't, I do a lot of things at the drop of a hat, but I also have like a very strategic escape route as well. Um, and I have a very strategic plan once I arrive where I'm going. So like, you know what I mean? So like showing up and like not knowing if things are going to work out for you, you could be homeless and destitute on the street in five minutes. Like, 
<laughs> props for having the balls to like put yourself in a situation where that could even happen. Absolutely. I mean, and especially if you're trying to better your better yourself, quote unquote, in another country, you know, and and it is tough, like, you know, and and the fact that he has to, um, you know, Mustafa has to be a, a, a vendor on the street, you know, it's not exactly what he wants to be doing, but he's doing it so that he can help support his family back in Lebanon and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the reality of a lot of different people and also just the way our policies have been as well in the last couple of years have just been smelly, you know, but it's, it's cool to see a positive thing of this in a way where it is nice to see somebody who is able to kind of show this experience for somebody who has immigrated to the United States and their experience, you know? And I thought that was really, I don't know. You didn't see that a ton in movies, like in the mid nineties. I don't think, you know, coming to America is only so accurate. I feel like, but you know, for royalty, maybe, but not for a random civilian. Yeah. True that. True that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. There's that, but you know, those are kind of the, some of the characters we kind of have and, you know, just kind of what we think about them or whatever. Again, I think a big part of this movie, it goes back to the idea of Sisyphus, you know, and being able to kind of be like, relate that to obviously the character of Mustafa, but then also just the character of Mary too. You can kind of put her in that where she's, you know, trying to like do better. She's trying to do this, but you know, you can also kind of relate it to that too. I think Daisy has also said like, yeah, like the story of Sisyphus can also kind of go with Mary's journey too, (laughs) because she doesn't have direction and she's trying to figure stuff out and she's just trying to catch her own little break and, and find something for herself. I guess in terms of anything else though, do you have any particular, I know there's probably plenty to choose from, but do you have any particular scenes that stand out to you as like any of your favorites or anything that was like super impactful for you as like a fan of the movie or anything like that? Favorite part of the movie. I don't, there's so many, like, like I'm a big person, like on one liners that like make me laugh and stuff. I love the part where she's like, re it. And then she's like, fuck you. That's so good. Oh my God. Yes. I'm also a one letters kind of guy too. So I also love like, you know, the whole, Hey, Hey, hello thing. That's always really fun. I also love that same part you were talking about where she has this whole like kind of monologue diatribe of like, you know, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And da, 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 da. Like all of this, like very well, very thought out, you know, thing that you wouldn't expect from Mary at that point, but you're like, Oh no, this bitch is smart. Like what the hell? Like, you know, because the whole thing is that you know judy's giving her some some grief about this but it's like well though she is smart she just made a mistake like that's all it is i do like the part where like she uh, dewey decimal systems um guillermo diaz's record collection he like has an absolute meltdown but she literally just like she's like all right chill we're gonna figure this out like right away because i know what i'm doing um, she also calls him Leonard. I think that's so funny. Character's name. <laughs> yeah, but it's so funny that she calls him. She just like calls him Leonard. And I'm like, yeah. okay, like what the hell? Um, I also like when she says, good evening, Leo. Like when he's coming into the like, apartment, it's so stupid. Oh, it's so fun. I, I, I would do for that apartment though, however much it cost in 1995, like that j- like, how so, big do you think that loft apartment would go for in 2023 in New York City? Like, oh, girl, I mean, it's easily like fucking 
Jesus, probably a good like 25, 30, like 2,500, 3,000, probably. I wouldn't be surprised. I think it would go for way more than that. Probably like probably. 455, maybe. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, I'm just like, it's it's up there. It's up there because listen. I love a pre-gentrified apartment in New York City. Like, so I do love seeing movies like that, like Desperately Seeking Susan and like Smithereens and they have like it's just like old buildings and like people it's probably like their friends apartments that they're filming on the inside of and stuff like that and it's just like back then you could you didn't need a credit score you could just like move into these places without a background check it's like oh you got evicted today you can move into this place in 25 minutes after you get evicted what a time right, exactly what a time what a time right yeah no it's totally true yeah do you have any other particular scenes that kind of stand out to you or anything like that i do love her when she throws her little rave and i i can't i don't know if i could say my favorite line from that scene can i probably can't i mean um, go ahead and say it like you might as fucking well she's like don't give me your faggot shit derek don't <laughs> i doubt don't oh my god out oh my god listen we're gay i don't give a fuck it's fine with me um you know flagged by the puritans of the internet hey listen i have said the i have said fag plenty of times on this show and i don't give a fuck like whatever don't wear it out so people have to introduce me as such sometimes (laughs) oh my god literally though but yeah no i do kind of like that though in a way like i um I think that's sort of funny because I see what she's saying. I I will say that is kind of, I don't know if it's a favorite scene of mine, but it's one that sticks out to me because it is kind of her rock bottom in a way. Because like I said, I think the way that she has this party going on and she has this idea of like, oh, let's do this like Middle Eastern theme, da da da, whatever. And let's have like Mustafa there doing like, you know, vending and like all this. But yeah, it, it is a little, a little, it's a little insensitive and, and all that and that's definitely a criticism people have of the film and and that scene and everything i mean again we have also established that mary is not exactly the most likable of characters like you know so it's not surprising that she would do something like that but again that whole scene where that happens where you know she takes drugs she is like kind of doing her little like fun dance but then like she's kind of a hot mess and her own party really which is kind of not the vibe at any party you're throwing really you want the host to actually have like a semblance of clarity i think and not be just a mess and you know i i just think like it's interesting that that's kind of the climax to her to her journey in a way of like then it turns around after that but um yeah i, I do like that scene for whatever criticisms people want to lob at it i i do think it's it's nice to see that bottom and then be able to see her try to build herself back up like obviously that was like a very low point for her but like you just said like that was like and then when like that like the her friend tried to like her like sexually harass her like that oh was yeah the end for her like after that like she was trying to turn herself around completely so i feel like it was important for like the character arch just i also like uh uh the one part where renee where teddy rogers is on when he puts on teddy rogers and she gets so pissed off and she just like breaks the bottle and she's like take it off <laughs> <laughs> it's so good no and and the reason and i 
I don't, maybe I'm an idiot and I didn't realize this right away, but the reason he's playing it is because he, um, so the reason Leo is playing it is because, um, Venus, who is a go-go girl that she's uh, met and is falling for or whatever, she, it's this record that she wants him to play so he's thinking kind of with his dick which is funny um but then yeah like don't put your job in jeopardy like that you know you maybe should have realized that um which is funny because then that all happened and then like you were saying with the uh later scene where she organizes her his records or whatever even one of the things in the catalog is no teddy you know teddy rogers this is a red dot so you know not to bring those with you if you're going to spin it renee's so i thought that was kind of fun too yeah that was a really good thing for her to do and that was a very smart thing of her to do so like she's thinking like on her toes Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm just like, yeah, so maybe don't have Renee almost kill you again. Um, good idea. Let's let's not have that happen. <laughs> but yeah, no, totally. I'm trying to think of a few of my seeds. Go ahead. I think it's like a big part of the movie is like how like people underestimate Mary just based on like how they know her as just a party girl. But like when it comes down to it, like she knows her shit. And she like like who else would think to like organize it that way in a sense just like oh your boss hates this kind of music so i'm going to make it so you know what not to even attempt to bring there so this doesn't happen again yeah absolutely and i kind of noticed that in like my second or third viewing maybe just last night i was like oh yeah that's kind of that's kind of smart that she did that like good for her like she's helping you out leo like it, which is so funny because like he's so mad at her she's like you fucking bitch but then like you're like, well, actually, like, I'm actually kind of trying to help you, dude. Like, whatever. But I'm trying to think of any other scenes that I have, like, a particular, you know, fondness for or anything like that. Um, I would probably say, God, I'm trying to think. Honestly, though, I mean, I think a lot of the scenes that you kind of pointed out are always really great. And I, I enjoy them. I do like this scene where she is shoplifting out of someone's closet at a, uh, like some event that they go to or something like, because she's just like, you know, Derek, do you think I'd make a good writer? Derek, do you think I'd make a good actress? Derek, do you think I'd make a good investment banker? And just like her kind of like, what is it? I guess it'd be like, it's this kind of like, not validation, but it's more just like, she is like, well, you know, we're not shoplifting anything. Like, you know, I'm just maybe a little tight on money. I want to get some nice clothes and this is the way I can get those nice clothes in a way. You do what you got to do in this world, man. Like, yes, <laughs> man, listen. Um, and she was making a point like, this is not a shop. There are no customers. Blah, 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 whatever. Um, do what you got to do. But I will say though, too, I do like, oh, and one of the lines I do love from this movie is that when Mary decides she's going to change her life around after this whole bullshit has happened, she goes to the library and, She's like, hey, Judy, like, come to my house. It's my birthday. Like, come to my house and, you know, at six, come to my place and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then she sees Wanda, who's the other library clerk. And she's like, oh, hey, Mary, like, you know, what are you doing here? And she just like goes up to her. And she's just like, you're going to help me, bitch. Just like words to live by. Like, it's so funny. I like that the other librarians liked her and they were all like trying to help her. And then, like, when she was kind of having a little bit of a meltdown and, like, she's like, Howard, I just want to do a good job. He's like, you are, but you are, you need to go take a break. <laughs> but Yeah, you need to, like, calm down a little bit. <laughs> but, like, they clearly do like her enough to, like, you know, they're, like, telling her all about their experiences of, like, what schools they went to and being like, here, like, 
here's what this one specializes in and like what have you. She's like, I want to stay in New York. Okay, we'll find you a school in New York. Stuff like that. Right. I think that's, I, I like that. I like that they respect her. They all, they're, because in the beginning, like you think Wanda and her aren't going to get along. Um, but apparently like that's not the case which i like yeah absolutely and i i like seeing that as well and just seeing that like you know it wasn't this thing of like we're gonna put these people against each other because oh i must underestimating this girl it's like well you know she catched on pretty well and now you're gonna help her bitch all right <laughs> but i do really like the end scene you know where i, I really just like the ending where um I mean, of course, I love the little go-go dancer they had brought in with his little jock strap. That was great. Uh, he's got a fat ass. Loved it. But I do like just that end scene where, like, you get to hear, you know, Mary, like, walk through, like, how she helped Mustafa figure out how to, you know, become a teacher in the United States. And, like, how she organized Leo's records and, like, all that kind of stuff and whatever. And, you know, just that she there are these kind of actionable things that you can point to, to be like, no, like Mary's actually like really diligent about stuff. And she's like, actually, you know, not as much of a hot mess as you may think she is Judy. Um, and she actually can be trusted, you know? And, and I just like that. I think earnestly Mary is saying, obviously at the end where she's like, you know, like when she's asked, like, is this really what you want? And she's like, yes, this is what I want. And then Judy's like, you get this little happy ending where you get like, you know, okay, I'll do it. Like, I'll give you your job back and we can have this. And I just like that it is a party for Mary because it's her birthday. But like, it's nice that it ends that way. It's nice where it's like, it's a party with all these people who are getting to have a good time. But it's also showing that Mary has gone from her beginning um, where she gets her party shut down by the cops to now she has turned into a different person and she's been able to to succeed ultimately which i really really like and i just think it's a nice i think that's exactly why people like this movie because it does have that fun nice little happy ending as well before we move on to the next subject i do want to say i like the the little animated parker posey in the opening credits where it says party girl i kind of want that tattooed on me honestly like i have like my body is covered in pop culture tattoos i think that would be like a nice little um obscure cute like tattoo to get so i, I think you it. should do it i will absolutely say that oh my god that'd be hilarious and i would absolutely want you to do that completely do it um <laughs> yeah no i think those are definitely some scenes that i really um kind of fucks with and all that i guess i will also ask just in case you have them do you have a particular favorite look in this movie from uh miss uh mary and also do you have a particular favorite song that is in the soundtrack because the soundtrack slaps uh, i like the song by delight that they play i think that's at mary's party right the soundtrack um, is mary. Yeah, I think it might be in there somewhere, uh, like before. I was going to say my favorite is the end song from Alternate. I love that. Oh, my God. I've been playing yeah, it like, a bunch. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite look or anything like that? There's so many. Like, it's really hard to narrow those down because, like, she has, like, even when she's, like, wearing that, like, that white turtleneck sweater that, like, kind of, like, fits in and, like, dips down at the bottom like that's just so cute and it fits her so well and like i also like the first look that she has when she goes to the library the first time when she has like the hairnet in the back and like 
the tiny little sunglasses and the uh the leopard coat there's and then like the opening outfit she was wearing she was wearing that like that like ruffle course that red ruffle corset shirt so like there's just so many like i would actually like to see like just like a picture where every single one of her outfits is lined up so i can admire them all and decipher that way because that's the only way i'm going to be able to pick one if i see them all in front of me at the same time i can understand that it's just like overwhelming of course yes um i would say one i have a few favorites of mine i do kind of like her end outfit where she's like become like a astute you know uh, aspiring librarian or whatever but i also will say i do love uh the i'm i gotta say i do enjoy her uh outfit when um she gets high and learns the dewey decimal system and then she's having this whole little thing where she's like putting all of the books back in the card catalogs and all that stuff and she's like doing cartwheels and stuff and she has a little fashion show on the table that little outfit she has on i think is just so cute and so cute i just like i like it you know it just kind of fits her personality and you know and again it's also part of a scene where you're showing that she's learning and trying to grow herself and grow, grow her knowledge if anything which i really appreciate yeah i like yeah. that too too and she's wearing combat boots i'm a combat boot guy so i gotta i gotta you know respect where respect is due exactly exactly yeah i think there's that and then then, uh, yeah i'm trying to think of whatever else do you have any particular i guess we talked a little bit about just like the themes of this movie and all that do you think think there's any other particular themes throughout the movie that i haven't already touched on anyway that maybe party girls trying to say or anything like that i think there's a lot that this movie is trying to say but do you have any particular themes that you'd want to like touch on or anything like that that you want to extrapolate on any more further i think we covered a lot of them yeah i think so um, too i mean uh, it's a lot of this is going back to the idea of sisyphus you know could talk about like you know people coming to the united states and trying to figure that out just being in your 20s and having no direction in your life but trying to do that a lot of side plots because like you got like obviously like mary's story is like the main focus but then at the same time you got mustafa doing something that he doesn't want to do and like trying to better himself at the same time and then you have leo who is also like struggling to find his way in the world as well so it's just like a lot of you know like a lot of people just trying to like find their way yeah Um, no totally and i think that's just why that's a huge theme of this movie is just figuring your shit out no matter what you then have like Judy who is kind of going through her older life and you know we find out that she's I guess going through menopause and you know she's just trying to be this older woman who hopefully can give some sage advice or wisdom or help to try to guide her goddaughter in a good way but you know there's that and then even a little bit of Renee like how do you go because renee probably was this like party girl or party person in her day she now owns her own club and how do you handle that being a recovering alcoholic who is an aa you know and and how do you kind of you have that in a way but then when you realize when you see that's the case like she's struggling like you're like oh that's why she's so you know like over the top like kind of crazy a little bit it's because she's like fighting her own demons and like and at first you just think like wow this she's a bitch you know like 
Um, when she was just like, oh, you, when Mary was just like, oh, you look fabulous right now. She's like, you know, there's a cover, right? But like, you learn later, like, okay, this girl's got problems that she's also trying to fight. Like, so like, but that's like the way of the world. Like me and my friends, like we're all just like trying to like figure ourselves out and like enjoy ourselves. And I, that's what I think life is about. Like, you're just like, we're only here for so long. You got to find what works for you. You got to do what makes you happy in the moment. No, totally. And I think that's a point of that too. And then I also think like part of what this movie has going for it that I think kind of helps with its cult status in a way is having all of those, but then also having like the fashions in it, the music, but also I think a reason that this movie has like a queer fan base as well, like a gay LGBT fan base is because you get to see people who are not heterosexual in a movie, like, which is awesome. And in 1995, you weren't getting a whole lot of that. So having someone like a um, Derek in this movie who is played by a straight man, but, you know, is ultimately a gay guy who's, you know, thirsting after um, Carl, who we end up finding out is Kurt. But, um, you know, having that and then just having like the over the topness of um, Mary as a character anyway, in a way, I think just lends to it having this kind of like a LGBTQ plus fan base seeing this in a movie is, this is probably some people's first seeing that kind of a character in a movie. Um, And it's not nonchalant in the best way, I think, which is great. And I really appreciate that as, you know, seeing like, wow, yeah, this is probably a big deal in 1995 for people to see this kind of thing. And for those who did see it. I agree with that because like I covered this in my interview with Jimmy, uh, James Duval. And like when I was growing up, like mostly the gay characters you see in movies and TV shows, they're like two dimensional and they're all just like, oh, girlfriend, we got to go shopping. Like I get those highlights done. Um, and like, they're not, they're just like, they're like comic comedy effects. They're there to laugh at basically. But what I got out of like all of Greg Rocky's movies were like, these are just regular people and they happen to like Dick and that's not the main focus. It's just another fact about them, but they also have other things going for them in life. That's not just that. And like you see that in this movie, like you see like a, like queer people in the clubs and like you see like her friend, like it's not just like a, they're not just there to laugh at. And that's something I think is important. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's exactly why this movie will have that queer fan base and will have that kind of reverence for people, you know, and and um, yeah, it's it's so super cool, you know, and um, and yeah, I absolutely agree. For sure. Do you think there's anything in the movie? I always kind of like asking this or whatever, but do you think there's anything in the movie that doesn't always work or maybe could have been retooled? I think we already kind of talked a little bit about just the treatment of Mustafa's character a little bit, but do you have anything in particular to add to that or anything where you're like, oh, that didn't age the best maybe, but you know, well, it happens. It was the 90s. <laughs> just a, I, the part where Parker Posey is like singing along to the record i'm like we could have done without like two minutes and 15 seconds of her doing that (laughs) i love it but i love this movie and i love i love it so much i'm not here to talk shit on it let me just say like that definitely like tooled down maybe 45 seconds more (laughs) i could understand that because again it's one of those things where you're just like 
yeah, girl, you're already, I mean, I think Daisy, uh, as the director already kind of knows that you have that criticism, that the criticism's out there, but I'm like, yeah, girl. Um, mm, okay. It's still just, it's still weird. You know, it just is. They could have just cut it a little bit down, but overall, I think if anything, those are like the things where I'm like, oh yeah, no, maybe those don't age the best, but I'm also like, no, but this movie actually pretty much stands up though. I think it's, I've seen know, I've seen much worse in other movies and films where I'm just like, oh, I cannot believe the. I can't imagine being in the writer's room where they're like, Haha, that one's good. Keep that in there. I'm like, and sometimes something like mind boggling to me where I'm just like, how is how is that okay to even then? But this like doesn't even like compare to some of those things. Like this is very light. Um, I just think like we. I just think like. It, if I were to pick something in the movie, mm-hmm. that would be it. Absolutely. I can, I can agree with it because yeah, like we already said, like, I don't really care if they use the F slur or whatever. It's not a big deal because they are gay, um, you know, technically, but uh, you know, it's one of these it's a beautiful word. I love it. It's one of my favorite words. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, but it's one of those things where, I mean, obviously when it comes to any sort of term, it's like, you know, yeah, it wasn't exactly the greatest using it at that point. But again, I think also it's a matter of reclamation for some people as well. But also it's like, you know, if the context is there, like, and I, I thought it was funny. That's what I thought was funny. So when Bill and Ted, when they call each other the F slur in the first Bill and Ted movie, I think it's funny because they thought that one of them died like you know what i mean or in can't hardly wait when like mike dexter gets called the f slur at you know that part of the movie or whatever that was funny to me you know so and in this situation i think yeah like the reason that mary says that to her friend is that she's like i don't want to hear about that i don't want to hear your gay bullshit you know what i mean because she's not in her right um, headspace you know so that also is there too but i'm trying to think what else there would be yeah i'm thinking that the you know we went over characters we went over you know just some of the the themes of this movie all that good stuff do you think there's anything else in particular that kind of lends this movie to become this kind of cult film um do you think there's anything else that you know has kind of that has kind of released what are some things that you think have solidified this as like that kind of cult film where it's had this legacy almost 30 years later now i don't know how to describe it like just the way that like it's filmed in a sense if that makes any sense like i don't know how to describe what i'm trying to say here like just like the way like the whole like i mentioned this already like it's not like on a film set like it's not like a whole bunch of places like a lot of movies in new york are like filmed at like Times square or like you know like macy's whatever like FAO Schwartz type of things like there's no tourist attractions in this New York movie and I like that if it's organic I think it feels like this is something where this felt like you know they were just shooting people in New York in the 90s and the mid 90s you know it doesn't feel heavily produced cover cover that like the, the on the authenticity that you get from watching it the feel of it it's just like these are New Yorkers, like the people in the movie, they're basically all from New York or like lived there at the time. So like, it, that's what I mean, like the authenticity of it all, like it's not, you know, just bringing in Timothy Chamolet because his name is Timothy Chamolet and be like, you can do this because this is your name type of stuff like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think like, no, I, I think absolutely you're... You, 
those are definitely things to think about or that those are things that I think do kind of show that I think that's why this movie has that lasting power because I think not that I'm an expert on cult films or anything, even though I have the podcast of it, but like, it's one of these things where I think the reason that party girl has had such a legacy, I would actually, I guess I'll pull this from um, an article I found from Miss Parker Posey. Um, so this movie got a Blu-ray release um, and also it got a limited release in some theaters as well. Yes, it did. Ha- it was re-released in theaters briefly. Mm-hmm. And she went to one of the screenings that I found out about the day after. And I'm still thinking about that because it was at the same theater that I went to for Guillermo's movie last week in New York. So like, it was something it was something that I could have done. And meeting Parker Posey has been on my list for like my whole life. And like, I, I'm still kicking myself for missing that opportunity to have seen her at a party girl screening, not only like seeing her at any screening of her movie, but that particular one. I'm still not over it. I'm still not over it. Oh God. Oh, I wish. But yeah, I do kind of want to get the Blu-ray a little bit. Um, I think you probably find it on Amazon somewhere like easily enough. I think it's worth the money for sure. Cover art of the new really re-released movie is really nice. Like somebody like painted her. So I, I really like the cover art for the new uh, re-release of the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think this was at one of the, um, I think it was the IFC center uh, in New York city. And then also Glendale. Um, I don't know how to say this. LaMail and landmark Westwood theaters. So those were where they had those screenings. Um, but IndieWire did a little uh, article about this. Uh, it was written by who is this Samantha Bergson, I believe in 2023 last year. Um, but it is quoted as saying, so Parker Posey is quoted as saying, we made this movie for the quote kids um, as we called them young people from small towns who had big dreams and who weren't for whatever reason, conforming to the status quo. Um, so he shared that uh, with Andy Wire. Quote, our intention was to nurture them with style and color, wit and heart, music and dance. I'm happy the film's out with a re-release to inspire again the unconventional path many of us live today. She added a special shout out to the librarians who also enjoy being silly on a dance floor. And while I'm at it, to the art of DJing and other arts that keep us moving and free. So that is what Miss Parker Posey had to say about this movie at one of these screenings she went to. Um, and I think also you can find like a Q&A or something with like Daisy and her at one of the screenings on YouTube as well. So check that out. I think that's, that's, yeah, God, she's a fucking icon. Like that's a perfect uh, summation of what this movie is it really is just about like kind of showing somebody at this point in their life and being able to show something different than you know a big studio would have done you know and it's cool to me that like this movie like came out like right around a similar time that clueless did and it's interesting to kind of juxtapose the two because obviously clueless was a big studio film where this wasn't but it's one of these things where yeah this is how you do different like young people cinema kind of a thing and you know i think this movie will continue to have a a legacy because in a weird way it is a time capsule of the 90s but i feel like the story itself is fairly timeless which i always can really appreciate as well when it comes to that kind of thing i do agree with the time capsule thing because i like like i said like they're filming on the streets of new york and like that's i like movies like that like kids and like this one and like desperately seeking Susan Smithereens. Smithereens is always my like my go-to when I talk about like a time capsule of a film. 
it's a New York that I that no longer exists that I wasn't there for, but that I long for. Agreed. That yeah, no, it does. It absolutely does. It's it's the same thing of like you know you see movies shot in Los Angeles that are like, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. Like not at all. Every time I'm there looking for like filming locations, like especially from like the 50s or like the 30s this is like well good luck with that because they knock everything down but it's always nice to like go find like something or another and like i don't know what my whole spiel about like the filming location spots is like it's just cool to me being like wow they were standing here like filming this movie that i love so much and i'm here in that spot it's like I don't know, cathartic, full circle moments, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a reason why you have people who have whole like YouTube channels where part of the stuff that they do is like, here's the filming locations for this like horror movie that you like and like blah da da da. You know, it's because it's kind of cool to be able to see like, wow, it hasn't changed that much. Or oh, it's not even there anymore or like whatever, but being able to kind of have that is like so super cool, you know, and and I don't see why not. I do think there is a level of catharsis because if these pieces of media meant something to you in some way, you know, being able to see this in person for yourself and be like, wow, that's that's really fucking cool that I'm getting to stand right here and I get to see it for myself and I get to, to have that. And, you know, it must have made it, I guess that means that those pieces of media where those filming locations are meant something to you and that's why you seek them out and that's why you do that and occasionally there'll be like a plaque or like a photo or like a poster or something being like they filmed this here like they filmed silver linings playbook like relatively close to my house i'm not like gonna give away where i live but like they filmed it very close at the diner scene and like in the diner like since it's like suburban philadelphia like nothing happens like they're they're riding this to the wheels fall off and like i giving them props uh they got like a plaque in the booth where jennifer lawrence and bradley cooper sat and like they filmed silver linings playbook here and they have like the whole cast and like i i love stuff like that like commemorating but like i'm i digress uh we were talking about something else and i totally went in that direction <laughs> <laughs> no i loved it though i think we were kind of just wrapping up on party girl because i think we said everything we needed to say about it but you know this movie's fucking rad i will say too so uh with what you said about suburban philadelphia so i'm in suburban baltimore um so if you ever feel like coming out to baltimore more again i think you came out to maryland before do your john yeah, waters locations I told, I told you about my experience in maryland uh it was it was interesting <laughs> i bet but you know I, hey come back it's still kind of fun over here but i do live like literally i've said this before and i will i've said it to you too um i literally live like 15 10 15 minutes away from the uh drive-in theater at the end of cecil be demented and so it's interesting whenever you drive by there you're just like wow Melanie Griffith's hair went up in flames that one time. Oh, that's fun. Like, I, you know. I have like a bit, like I do have a long list of like filming locations for all of John Waters' movies because I have been trying to get back out to Baltimore. I just haven't made it that way yet. Um, but like there's a lot from all of his movies, they're all filmed there. So like there's I have like I feel like I have like 70 like locations that like may or may not still be there but like i found them anyway and then like you said like the theater the senator theater the senate theater yeah it's the senator i think yeah like you said it's not like operational right now but they still have like all those john waters plaques and like 
yeah thing on the ground which i i just find some people like to go to the statue of liberty or like the liberty bell like this is <laughs> This is my Liberty Bell, so... Absolutely, yeah. I think the Senator Theater is still kind of operational, but it's, like, not as much. Um, I think they have, like, two screens or something. But And, like, there's less tourists at, like, the places where I'm going, you know? Like, I feel like the most, like, crowd I've ever had to deal with was, like, outside of Carrie Bradshaw's apartment. And I stumbled upon that by accident. (laughs) exactly exactly i was gonna say with baltimore i mean like you can go to some of these places they probably are still around in a way like you just walk around druid hill park and you're just like this is where raymond marbles flashed that one person like or whatever the hell um but yeah no totally but yeah i think that's everything we can talk about when it comes to party girl man i mean like actually i do have something else about party girl did you know that there was a short-lived television series that did not last long at all i put that in our notes and um yes uh i am aware of it listen i like christine taylor uh that's mr mrs ben stiller good for her um she's also marcia brady love that she's that racist bitch from the craft but no you didn't need to they did not need to do that because how i don't know if you there's two episodes there so there were six episodes filmed but only four of them aired. Um, there are two episodes on YouTube that I watched today, and I do got to give it up to like the soundtrack guy. They had Labouche. And the opening scene was Labouche. Uh, so I uh, do love me some Labouche. Um, but, and they were taking a lot of like direct lines from the movie and putting it in the show, but it just didn't work. It like, it, it was that wasn't it it wasn't the vibe mama i get it it's just like mm -mm. uh i i don't really want to watch those things on youtube because i'm just like what's the point you know (laughs) it's like i wanted to see it was for the research i had to do it for the research hey listen you're doing you're doing more than i did man so i appreciate that but yeah no it's it's one of those things where it's like um I feel like that kind of happened because again, I like Christine Taylor. Susie Kurtz is awesome. Um, John Cameron Mitchell is in there probably playing the de facto Leo character in a way that's not actually Leo, but kind of maybe sort of Derek. Oh, he was Derek. Okay. 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 okay, Got it. But uh, yeah, no, but like fucking, I just don't know how you would have translated that to a TV series that would have worked, I guess. And also what's funny too, like with clueless, like they made a TV show on that where they had fake, Canadian chair, which I love Rachel Blanchard. We'd love her. But like, you know, that show, everyone thought that would do really, really well, right? Because of the movie. And then the inverse happened where Clueless, the TV series, pretty much bombed. Um, and then Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, actually got way more popular than they would have expected. And they were like, oh shit, I guess Melissa Joan Hart could do something. And then, you know, Clueless kind of st- tried to stay above water for two more seasons and then they got canceled but it's just so funny how that kind of worked so i guess maybe it was like but what's funny with party girl the tv show is like yeah but this movie was super independent and they just thought like let's bring that to the tv like let's just do that (laughs) actually kind of like that kind like like they can't ruin this movie but like this is it's a comedy it's a dramedy but they turn this into a 22 minute like abc sitcom or like fox sitcom where like everything is a laugh track and like everything you're saying has to be funny the judy character is not at all 
like she was in the movie. And I didn't really care for that at all. Right. And Susan Kurtz is amazing. She's a good actress, but like not for that. But you, you got to collect your paycheck. I get that. (laughs) Right. I get it. And, you know, and then also too, like Christine Taylor playing like uh, Mary, like, I just was like, girl no it just didn't make sense like you said it's a dramedy so it's very much like you know what what are we doing here but i don't know man they uh and i also don't really ever what i think is interesting about party girl 2 you can't remake this movie either i don't think you can they'll give the role to some they'll give the role to like lily rose depp or somebody who doesn't deserve it because that's what hollywood is about now just names 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 oh your parents are famous here let me put you in this blockbuster uh, yeah like, how, like they already tried to replace you can't replace gene wilder i'm sorry like we don't need all these hollywood remakes of things like sometimes the originals are just fine the way they are yeah no totally and it's just one of those things where it's like i i can at least appreciate a nepa baby who knows they're a nepa baby and acknowledges it and is actually talented that's great but like you yeah, know you're you're kind of i think you're right because it's just like dude i don't want them to ever remake this movie because like it doesn't need to be and plus also it'd be way different you know there are perfectly good things that you can remake that actually are kind of under the radar and maybe could be something cool, you know, but it's like, you got to figure out. I was always thinking like, would I want a Romy Michelle sequel? And I'm like, could they do it? Probably if they have the right people in, you know, there, but it's like, do we want that? I don't know. We made that prequel for ABC family and that yeah. was not fun. Although right. we do love Catherine Heigl, I do love uh, Wish Upon a Star. Great film, great same. film. Same, but, same. Uh, and, but yeah, no, and even that was like a prequel. But like, if you had like the writer involved, you had the right actors involved who would come back. But I'm like, yeah, but the story's got to be there, and it's then I could have maybe a little itty bit of faith, but only so much, you know. Yeah. Sequel, you mean like the actors coming back to play them and like not a remake where they recast like everybody for modern for modern actors and stuff like i'm just being biased because like i don't know like i feel like a lot of people are like a lot of talent in hollywood is like being forced down our throats just like they're just giving these people one role after another and it's like okay like are they really that good that you need to just put them in everything yeah I completely agree with that too. We're kind of going off the rails now, which is totally fine. I, my show is all about that, but like, you know, yeah, no, it's so, it's so very true. And there's only so many people who you really can look at and be like, wow, that really is somebody who's super talented and they do deserve like great. But then it kind of gets lost in the sea of all these other people who really aren't that great. But you also mentioned like, this is a time capsule of a movie. So like, keep it that way. Like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see Mary with like an iPhone. I like, I like seeing the nineties Mary, you know, I don't, I don't need to see, they'll probably make her like a lot different if they were to remake it in a sense to where she would be very unlikable because she'd probably be like an influencer or something. I don't want to see that. Exactly. So we're not ever doing the party girl remake. I don't think Daisy would ever let that happen either. So thank God. I hope she's on the same page. (laughs) I I feel like she would be because I wouldn't want that to take it. Nope, nope, nope. But anyway, I think that's everything we can talk about though. I do appreciate you bringing up uh, the TV show though. I think that's everything I can think of right now. Any closing thoughts you may have Bobby on party girl that you can want to share right now? If you haven't 
haven't seen this movie, I highly recommend it. It's a it's a really good watch. Lovely yes. cast, like fantastic soundtrack. It holds up in today's standards. Yeah, I love Party Girl. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I I think my closing thoughts, if anything, are yes. I think this movie has a lot going for it. I love that it's directed by a woman. It was written by this trio. You know, they included the director. This movie has so much going for it when it comes to talking about gay themes and all these sorts of really cool things, you know? And I really just think it's a timeless cult classic. It just is perfect. And there's so much to it where you can dig into and and enjoy yourself with it, hopefully. And also, like you said earlier, it's super accessible. It like lives on Tubi forever. So I love and appreciate that. So I always love an accessible movie. In a weird way, the first movie that premiered on the internet now just lives on the internet. So that's wonderful. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know that when you mentioned that that was news to me I had no idea that was the first I think I looked that up but like the synop- it was a very long synopsis of them just basically saying that right exactly <laughs> but, but yeah well, maybe that's why it's just like the first internet movie is available everywhere on the internet for everybody to watch <laughs> everywhere every fucking where dude seriously exactly like you can do it whatever wherever it's it's all good but bobby i do want to thank you so much for coming on the show you know i'm you're getting your sea legs when it comes to you know being on a different podcast i'm sure but i think you were a wonderful guest to bring on for this episode i wanted somebody who really enjoys this movie and can bring some some context and some perspective to it so i think you absolutely did that i guess if anything do you have anything in particular you would like to plug your social media accounts um anything you're working on uh you know do all that now if you want awesome well first of all thank you for having me on your show um i had a great time talking i love talking like movies pop culture like you know all that jazz it's like my calling so whenever i get to utilize that and like show my knowledge i'd just love to be able to do that as far as plugging stuff sure let's uh let's do that uh my instagram is bob faggot b-o-b-f-a-g-e-t-t-e the gay bob faggot i do have a my own show coming out soon called i'm still fabulous where I sit down with some of my favorite pop culture figures and we just like talk about like their careers and all the things that I love seeing them do from like singers, actors, directors. Um, I got a good lineup. So hopefully I get that out soon. You know, I told you I'm a grandma. So editing, I went into that very blindly. So I'm, I'm learning a lot. And I'll be doing some interviews and uh, panels at the New Jersey Horror Con coming up in Edison, uh, New Jersey in March, I think. Yeah, in March. Uh, so, yeah, come check me out. Talking to famous people about things that I love. Love that for you. Love that for you so, so much. All right. So, uh, yeah, I think that's everything I can think of right now. But thank you so much, Bobby, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, I definitely plan to have you back for sure. So, uh, but thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. All right. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. If you would like to get in touch with me, uh, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com to give movie recommendations, feedback on the show, or just to say, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the show on social media. Instagram is at cultcinemacircle 
Cinema Circle, and then Twitter slash X is at Cult Cinema Circle. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse J E S S E K R E M P, all one word. Or if you look up Cult Cinema Circle, I'm sure you'll find the page on there. Um, you know, do all the fun social media things. I post about what I'm covering and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, also on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, whatever, rate, comment, subscribe, give five stars or a thumbs up or anything to say if you like the show or if you don't like it, I guess it's fine too. And also like give a review or like a comment or something. That's cool too. Uh, it's nice to be able to hear about what people like about the show and all that fun stuff. And yeah, I think that's all. Uh, and then next week I'm going to be covering a little movie from 2009 that's celebrating its 15 year anniversary. I'm going to be covering a little movie called Coraline. Um, so when Coraline moves into an old house, she feels bored and neglected by her parents. She finds a hidden door with a bricked up passage and during the night she crosses the passage and finds a whole parallel universe where everyone's eyes are buttons and with caring parents and all of her dreams are coming true. However, she finds out that not everything is what it seems like in this other world. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast and remember, I may have made a mistake, but that is no reason to patronize me. It is dismaying that your expectations are based on the performance of a lesser primate and also revelatory of a managerial style which is sadly lacking. Is it any wonder then that I have chosen not to learn the intricacies of an antiquated and idiotic system? Take care. Bye.